0: What are the core things that either for you or other people that you think really help solidify your chances of getting that postdoc after graduating?
1: Getting any postdoc is not challenging, I would say. There are a lot of postdocs out there. Um, there's actually kind of a market right now where people are looking for postdocs and can't find them. So it's really different than going on the academic job market. Like, There's a ton of postdocs out there and people are like, like you're, you kind of are at a, an advantage, I would say, going into the postdoc.
0: Hey folks, thank you for tuning into the Grad School Sucks Podcast, where we believe that your life and career after grad school should rock. I'm your host, Matt Carlson, and today I'm talking with my good friend, Dr. Erin Dupree. Erin Dupree holds a dual appointment research scientist position at the Mount Hope Family Center in the Children's Institute in Rochester, New York. Her research focuses on child maltreatment, child and adolescent mental health, and suicide prevention. Erin joins the podcast to talk about her postdoc and research scientist life, as well as discuss her new foray into science communication. Be sure to follow Erin on Instagram to learn the science behind parenting and child development. Her account is at dr.erin.parenting. That's dr, D-R and Erin with two N's. If you're interested in postdocing after grad school, you're interested in research scientist positions, or you're thinking about starting a science communication account, this is an episode that you do not want to miss. I'm so excited to be able to share my conversation with Aaron with you today. Be sure to stick around to the very end of the episode to hear Aaron's responses to some extra questions. And without further ado, let's get to the interview. I am so happy to talk to you today. Thank you for joining me. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me. Can you
0: absolutely could you give us just a little like summary of who you are professionally and then also where folks can find you if they want to know more about you and your work and what you're up to
1: sure so right now i work as a research scientist at the university of rochester um so i have a role kind of a a dual role in two departments i work with a place called children's institute which is actually a nonprofit that is affiliated with the University of Rochester, and it does a lot of work with um, like early childhood education and evaluation. And I also have an appointment in the Department of Psychology um, working with a place called Mount Hope Family Center, which does a lot of um, like research on child maltreatment and stress um, and mental health. So, um, so yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. Um, one of the things I've been starting to do and that I'm really passionate about is um, science communication and kind of trying to, um, you know, get out the research that we're doing on parenting and child development and stress. Um, So I do have a parenting account called Dr. Aaron Parenting. So um, if anyone's interested and, you know, wants to hear the latest research on child development and parenting, you could find me there.
0: Absolutely. Is that on Instagram mainly, or solely? that is on
1: Instagram mainly? Yes.
0: Okay. And so that's uh, at Doctor. That's D R dot Aaron E R I N N dot Parenting. Right.
1: That's right. Thank you.
0: At Doctor dot Aaron dot Parenting. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So for the listeners out there, a little bit of background. I am familiar with a little bit of Aaron's work. We did work together back in the day. I don't want to think about how many years ago that was, but, um, how, you know, I don't think I know your story about like why you got into, yeah, I don't know your pre PhD story. So like Mm -hmm. what, what kind of got you into grad school and drew you into these topics?
1: Yeah, so I um, so right after my undergrad, I got my undergraduate degree in psychology um, at University of Buffalo, and at that point, I was really interested in clinical work, so I immediately went on and actually got my master's in um, counseling psychology at Columbia, um, and at that point, I really thought I was going to do like a kind of a clinical job and work as a mental health um, clinician. I um, I kind of quickly realized that wasn't exactly for me. I still love um, mental health and learning about that and working with people. Um, but after that, I instead of going into kind of that clinical job, I got a job as a student advisor at New York University. So i um, kind of working in like higher ed administration, working with students. Um, I, I really like doing that. But I also, I think through doing that, I worked with a lot of faculty members and people like doing research and got to go to talks. And I kind of see the in like the inner workings of academia, kind of like from the outside as an administrator. Um, and I think I kind of kept thinking like, that's something that I would really like to do. Like, I kind of want to be on that like faculty research side. That's something I think I could do. Like, I know I'm good at writing. I I like to do research. Like, why not kind of go back and go for that? Um, so at that point I, I worked there for four years and at that point applied, um, for PhDs wanting to, um, you know, kind of do that like tenure track route and study, um, child development and mental health kind of in general. Um, so that's how I got to, um, to University of Georgia to do my PhD there.
0: Very cool. And so you, you jumped like after you graduated your PhD, you landed a postdoc and then, Mm -hmm. You were there for a couple years and then went into a research scientist position. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So I did my postdoc for two years. Um, I was at the University of Rochester Med Center. So they had a postdoc actually in suicide prevention, um, which is uh, one of my main research interests. So I did that for two years. It was, um, you know, most of it was during COVID. So that was kind of an interesting experience. Um, and then, um, kind of like right at two years, I got my current position where I've been out at for like a little over one year as a research scientist.
0: Very cool. I think there are a lot of folks who are interested in, uh, postdoc life. Could you tell us a little bit about what life was like as a postdoc, how it differed from being a PhD student, anything like that?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. It's really different. I, you know, I think it, a lot of it does depend on where you are, like whether you're doing a postdoc that's like situated in like one lab or what I did, which was it is called a T32. So it's an NIH funded like training postdoc. So it's not specifically in one lab where you're like running their research studies. It's more of like a training um, postdoc. And there there is a cohort, um, or at least there was for me, but it really, I think, depends on and what your postdoc is. Um, I think my experience, like I said, it was during COVID. So I think that part was unique. Um, and I would say there was less of like that cohort community feel, unfortunately. And I do hear that from a lot of postdocs because there's less structure. Like we, you know, we did have a few seminars we went to together. Um, they ended up being on zoom mostly, um, We were all like working with different mentors and different labs, like doing different projects. We all had like different backgrounds and research interests. Like we didn't really like collaborate on projects like you would in grad school, like if you're in the same lab. Um, So I think it can potentially be a little isolating, I would say, Mm. um, just because there's sometimes kind of be that lack of community um, if that's something you're looking for. Um, I was lucky, you know, I have a supportive family and I was in a place where I knew a lot of people. So I think that part was okay for me. But I think if I were to do my postdoc in like a whole new city um, and like not know a lot of people, that could have been potentially really challenging. Um, So I think that's one part that, you know, kind of sticks out to me. Um, And then I think the other thing that really stuck out was that you're really independent, I mean, I think this maybe goes back into like that kind of lack of like a cohort feel. um you know I do I had amazing mentors um and I still work with these mentors, and they're still like constantly in touch with me, so that was amazing. um but it is like you're trying to get set up to be an independent researcher in a sense, so um there is a lot of kind of like independence involved. you know, you're kind of like in charge of your own productivity in a lot of ways. I don't know. Does that answer your question?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, okay, so you, you did two years in the postdoc, and then... Um, trying to think of where I want to go with this. Yeah, let's just do that. So you did two years in the postdoc, and then can you tell me a little bit about what the transition was like from the postdoc to the research scientist position, and how those positions differ?
1: Yeah. Let's see where to start. Um, so... So I'm at the same university, which is helpful. So I'm still at the University of Rochester, which is where my postdoc was. I'm in a different department. um, And like I said, I kind of have a dual role, um, which is nice in some ways Um, and, you know, challenging in other ways as well. Um, You know, my role right now is 80% Eighty percent is at Children's Institute, which is a nonprofit. So a lot. Of, so it's really like working, you know, as a researcher at a nonprofit, and it's really structured. I, am I have my hands in a lot of different projects, doing um, different like evaluations, uh, different programs, like getting things off the ground constantly. Like it's just you know, grant writing. Um, there is always a lot going on, which. Um, is something that I kind of like actually. So it really works well for like me and the way that I work. Um, and then I also have that part of my position where I'm in psychology and I have um, every Friday, I'm just like in my psychology position and I go to this place um, called Mount Hope and they really study like childhood trauma and mental health. And that's my own research interest. So I, I get to go there and, you know, continue to do like, my research and do things that i'm really passionate about which is nice um so i i guess the way that it's different from my postdoc i would say it's a lot busier um there's just a lot more oh, going yeah. on i think like as a postdoc it's kind of nice in a lot of ways because you get to structure your own time you know there are certain seminars you need to go to and like sometimes you'll want to be there like a nine to five job it depends on your mentor Um, But for me, it was really flexible and I could like work from home a lot. I really made my own hours. Um, And, and now it's, you know, it's busier. It's more of a structured role. Like I, I'm in the office a few days a week and want to be there at like eight 30, leave at four, come home. I have two kids so that I, you know, spend time with my kids and then after bedtime do a little bit more work, you know, it's, it's busy. Um, so I think that's one way that it's different, um, Oh, gosh. What else? And then you asked about the transition. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, like, just kind of the differences has a lot to do with the transition. So just going from that, like, kind of unstructured time to, like, a more structured setting. Um, that was definitely a transition. Um, like I said, like, I I liked it, though. So it was okay for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another thing, I guess, is important to mention is that I did my postdoc um, going on maternity leave. So the last three months of my postdoc, I was actually on maternity leave. So I was um, a new, well, not a new mom. It was, I was a new mom for the second time. I had a new baby um, and I was going back, um, not in my postdoc, but in like a new role after maternity leave. So that was kind of an interesting challenge, like start a new role as like a very sleep deprived new mom, you know, you know, kind of like hit the mm-hmm. ground running. Um, but yeah, but I like my role and I like where I am. So like, I can't complain, but, um, yeah, it was definitely a transition. I would say. Awesome. Yeah.
0: Awesome. So I've got like five different directions. I feel like we could go in. (laughs) Um, so I want to talk about you and your research and your research trajectory. Mm -hmm. I think, I think, um, maybe if we could put that on pause and dig into, practical things and for like the grad students who want to have a career in academia they want to do research they know they want a postdoc they're thinking about research scientist positions they're thinking about that kind of career trajectory yeah um i think a couple of things come to mind but i think the the main thing is like how does it happen how do you make that happen that leap from being a PhD student to a postdoc? Like what are the core things that either for you or other people that you think really help solidify your chances of getting that postdoc after graduating?
1: Yeah, so so actually it's getting a postdoc is, getting any postdoc is not challenging, I would say. There are a lot of postdocs out there. Um, There's actually kind of a market right now where people are looking for postdocs and can't find them. So it's really different than going on the academic job market. Like there's a ton of postdocs out there and people are like, like you're, you kind of are at an advantage, I would say going into the postdoc, um, which I, I do think it makes, it puts more responsibility though on you as a grad student, because you want to find a postdoc that's going to be good for you, both career wise and in terms of like your mental health and like a place that you would want to live for a few years. You know, these are all things I think you need to think about, um, so, gosh, I would say, um, yeah, there's a lot out there. I mean, you need to be intentional in what you're looking for. Um, I mentioned before I had a T32. I would suggest that if you're looking to go into like an academic trajectory, like maybe get a um, job as a professor, like kind of do the trying to get grant funding route, um, because the T32 really puts a lot of time into training. Um, A lot of postdocs, if you're like, I would call it a more traditional postdoc, it's like you reach out to a faculty member that you really admire their work and say, hey, like, I really like your work. Do you have any positions open for a postdoc? Um, And sometimes they will, and it's funded through like one of their specific projects. And a lot of times for postdocs, you might end up kind of being like a project manager for like an R01, for example, Um, and that's you know you're you're doing independent work and kind of getting the independence but you are in some ways also like a project manager and i think that's a very typical postdoc experience um but a for me in these in my T32 and i think in other T32s um there's less um responsibility in terms of specific project management and it's more about like they just want you to get more training. Um, You can take classes. I actually didn't take classes. I did like some one-off trainings, um, but you can, you could, um, you know, there's a focus on grant writing. I think that's really important. Um, So I I think just like be very uh, thoughtful about what postdocs you're applying for. Um, And if you are interested in T32s, you could find them by going on um, NIH Reporter, which is a website um that you could go on and just like search T32s and it will list all of them for you. So that's a good way to find them. Um, yeah, I don't know. Does that answer your question? Is there anything else I could no. answer specifically? <laughs> okay.
0: No, yeah, I, I I think that's totally helpful. Mm-hmm. Um and I think uh, what else is gonna go for? Do you do you feel comfortable share, sharing like the salary ranges like not your exact salary but like salary mm-hmm. ranges for postdocs in general research scientist positions in mm-hmm. general that kind of a thing?
1: Yeah, so um so postdocs for the T32s and a lot of other ones it's um, graded by NIH. So NIH has specific ranges for postdocs and you could look on their website. Yeah. It That's you know, increases every year like, you know, with inflation. It's um I think like between forty to forty five thousand, maybe a little higher. I forget mm-hmm. exactly. So you know, coming from like your graduate student stipend, it felt great, but ultimately is like right. really not a great salary for someone with a PhD and experience. Um, so it's like livable usually, um, but mm-hmm. it's it's not great. It's definitely not like a long term something you'd want long term. Um, for like the research scientist job i'm at um at university of rochester it kind of depends on your department but usually starting at like 85 to 90 range um mm-hmm. so it's similar to like what you would get if you're like a tenure track assistant professor in certain departments here um you know it's of course always like negotiable but i think that's like what it would start at
0: yeah very cool yeah and then uh Do you have any any tips or takeaways in terms of like uh, the transition from the postdoc to the research scientist position, like anything that people should look for or any uh, keys to like applying and, and winning one of those positions?
1: I would say, you know, networking is important. Um, I think it's a term that you hear a lot in like the business world. And like, I mean, I guess you talk about it a lot in academia about networking in terms of who you're working with and like papers and everything. Um, But that's really what led me to this position. Um, My mentor knew of this position and I began like talking to them and just showed interest in working for them. And I had a few phone calls with the executive director and, we were just kind of like getting to know each other. Um, and I was really interested in their work and she was interested in what I was doing. And it it ended up just kind of being a match. Um, and I, you know, and I got a little bit lucky the way, uh, it works at this university is that if, um, they were allowed to basically say like, we already have a strong candidate identified and then basically like we didn't have to go through like a huge interview process. Um, which was really nice because I was already technically like internal to university of Rochester doing my postdoc there. Mm. So it was almost like a transition more than like a new role, which is really nice. Um, But yeah, I would say a lot of that, like I I'm really lucky to have really great mentors who are really looking out for me and like cared about my career development. They knew I wanted to stay at the university of Rochester. Like they were reaching out to their connections for me and I'm just so grateful that I had them um, and I think that goes back to like, when you're, you know, choosing a good mentor as a postdoc, like it's so meaningful, um, because that could lead you to your next position, you know, you, you just never know. Um, I had actually, sorry, I feel like my my answer is like meandering, but no, I do want to, because I yeah. think this relates to the mentorship issue. Um, I had two actually mentors in my postdoc. One was, um, a mentor who is, um, someone I uh, still currently work with who had very close like content expertise and studied what I study, which is child maltreatment treatment and, um, youth psychopathology. And then my other mentor was more of like a senior career mentor. And she is like, we, she called herself like a process mentor. So she, um, her area of expertise was somewhat different. Um, she does uh, research on domestic violence and um, juvenile justice systems. Um, so, you know, close, but not an exact match. But she cared so much about mentorship and she cared about like my career as a woman and like being a woman in academia and having a family and like balancing it all. And she just really like, guided me through the process of of being a postdoc and into my current role. So I'm really, you know, grateful to have that. So um, you know, sometimes you have one or the other, or you could have both in one person. But I do think like having each of those types of mentorship is important.
0: Absolutely. Mentorship and networking. Yeah, that was great.
1: Thank yeah. you for
0: sharing that. So you are now a research scientist, could you? Um, and I'm sorry if this is repeating, but could you tell us a little bit more about the direct research work you do. I know you mentioned you do some evaluation work and just kind of like the topics that you're into right now.
1: Yeah, so um, I feel like every time I answer this, I'm like, well, I have this side, and then I have this side. But um, so I'll, I guess I'll first talk about like my kind of my own research and like my like the grants I'm writing and all of that and what I'm doing more with like the Mount Hope side. Um, I'm really interested in child maltreatment and how that influences youth mental health and suicide specifically. So I've been trying to get off the ground um, some projects to develop a suicide prevention program for kids who have been abused um, or neglected, who have um, that exposure in the child welfare system, Um, knowing that those kids are at a greater risk for suicidal thoughts and behaviors. um, And, you know, are really in need of suicide prevention interventions, but nothing's really been done. Um, so I, I have a few grants I'm writing and that have been submitted trying to get like a pilot off the ground. So um, so yeah, a lot of my past research, uh, past research has been um, very, I guess what you call basic research, like looking developmentally, like these are the risk and protective factors, this is the developmental process. Um, right now I'm trying to go a little bit more applied. So what do we know from the developmental research that we've done on child maltreatment and youth risk behaviors, including youth suicide, and how can that inform a suicide prevention program? Um, And I'm also uh, more and more interested in community-engaged research. So, like, how can we get a pilot Off the ground that is like truly community engaged that has people with lived experience like really guiding us through the research process so that's another thing i'm really um, trying to do in, in my own research so that is kind of one side of it i also have all of my projects that i do at children's institute um they have kind of a portfolio of programs that have a lot to do with social emotional learning and early childhood education so for one example, I, I do a lot of work with um, kind of a large evaluation they do of all the preschools in the Rochester area. So um, we, you know, it's a kind of a large urban school district and we look at student outcomes, classroom quality, family outcomes, um, and basically do like a huge evaluation every year. So I'm the lead scientist on that and uh, just publish like a 70 page report looking at all of those outcomes together. So um, that's one example of something I would do for that Children's Institute work. Um, we have, yeah, we have a lot of programs at Children's Institute just looking at like social emotional learning and outcomes and just trying to, we are also really big about that community engaged approach, um, uh, you know, and, and equity and like how can we be more equitable in the research that we do. So um, just a kind of a, I don't know if it answers your question, but I feel like we have Mm -hmm. our hands in a lot of different, like more evaluation projects on that side.
0: Yeah. What's your, um, I'm, I'm kind of getting caught up because Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, whenever you talk about evaluation, I think about when I was a research scientist in Nebraska and we did evaluation and Mm bring back memories and blah, blah, blah. Uh, So what is your favorite part of your job right now?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I I really love the people that I work with and I like that it's very community engaged. So, um, Mm. I guess going back to the example I was just talking about with the, um, the preschool evaluations that we do, we have meetings, um, every two weeks with our community partners. So people that, you know, leaders in the school district, uh, people who are working at child care centers, people who are in policy, everyone that's kind of doing this work in our community around early childhood education. Um, and we talk about the evaluation, but we also talk about like what's going on right now in early childhood. And um, as you know, many of you could guess, it's kind of a mess right now and there's like staffing issues and funding issues. And like after COVID, it's just really like a stressful time for everyone. Um, but You know, knowing that, I guess, you know, it's kind of an important time to be doing this work. And I like knowing that the work I'm doing can actually have more of an immediate impact. Um, You know, it's different than when we're working on like a data analysis and writing a manuscript for like a peer reviewed journal, like that's really nice and all, but you Seldomly see like the immediate impacts of that, and like sometimes, like I don't know, people yeah. who reads that, you know. So I think doing this evaluation work at the nonprofit and like working in these contexts and with community partners, um like the like I bring them results that are immediately actionable. They're, they're like they know the students and the teachers that these results are about, and they, you know, it's really impactful. So I really like that part of my work. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. What would what would you say the top like uh, three, four, five activities or categories of activities that kind of make up your your day-to-day now as a research scientist?
1: Like what are those things? Um the <laughs> The first thing that comes to mind is meetings. We, you know, there's a lot of meetings. Um, meetings. I think, you know, and sure. working, I think this might be, this is academia, but also working at nonprofits. Like we have so many projects going on that every project has a meeting, right? So, you know, that happens. Um, also data analysis, you know, I do a lot of data analysis, um, which I love doing. So that's a great part of my work. Um, and, you know, working with different types of data, I do Like, you know, as you know, we did a lot of quantitative work in grad school and I still love that side. But, you know, working with qualitative data, even like working with different types of analysis um, has been great. And then writing, a lot of writing. Um, So writing grants, writing reports um, on the academic side, you know, still writing those peer reviewed manuscripts, grant um, conference proposals, all of that stuff. So I would say that those are the three big buckets.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Do you mind sharing how many, it can be a range, just how many hours uh, your research scientist position kind of, how many work hours it takes for a week?
1: Well, it's, it's full time. So it should be 40 hours. It's probably more, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. Um, Yeah, but, I mean, not much more, maybe like 50.
0: I don't yeah.
1: know. Um, I try to be really efficient. I mean, you know, like having kids, it's like you need to kind of be efficient and like do the work you could do while they're in daycare. Um, so yeah. I usually, you know, I usually work from like 8 or 8 30, have like a strict four o'clock cutoff to go get the kids and then, you know, put them to bed. And then I might do like an hour or two of work at night when they're in bed. I don't always, like, I don't need to, and I don't always do that. Um, it just kind of depends on, like, what's going on.
0: Yeah, for sure. Let's transition to parenting. So, you've got this account, uh, Dr. Aaron Parenting, again, on Instagram. That's at parenting. Aaron with two Ns. What, uh, what kind of content are you sharing? What do you want to do with this account? Is this part of some bigger plot or ploy you have for the future? What's going on?
1: Great question. So it's, you know, it's somewhat new. It's something I kept talking about for a while. I was like, I don't know, being a parent and like being exposed to social media is very strange. And you're inundated with all this information. And I I kept seeing a lot of information that I knew wasn't evidence based and just like didn't make me feel really great as a parent and like I kept seeing all this stuff. and I kept for a while kept following it because I was like, this is what I should be doing. And then I realized like I have my PhD and I study child development. like I know that this stuff isn't right. Like why am I still feeling guilty, and, like still feeling bad based on what I'm seeing? Um, so I think that's really the the backstory of why I wanted to start this. Um, yeah, and I, I kept talking about it. I'm like, you know, like there needs to be better content out there, better like evidence based content, stuff that doesn't make parents feel bad or gross or guilty because they're not doing these like specific things. Um, so yeah, I started it. My my husband was like, you need to stop talking about it and just do it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. so I'm really grateful for him and for him giving me that that kick to just really get it started. Um, So the intention really is to, like I said, share evidence about um, parenting and child development. I focus more on like what my research is, which is like parenting and mental health specifically, um, and looking at like not just the parent or the child, but kind of like both, like how these systems kind of like influence each other. I think that's one of the things that really is the backbone of what I share. Um, And also just like, you know, information that's um, that doesn't make you feel bad or guilty as a parent, you know, knowing Uh, that, um, you know, I want to be more empowering and just show, show that, um, you know, being a parent is kind of like messy and we don't see that a lot on Instagram. So that's one of my goals too, is just to share that like real life, um, I don't know, like I just like a lot of times I share like, here's my messy playroom, (laughs) just to be like, you don't see that on Instagram all the time, you know, Um, so just stuff like that. So true. Yeah. So we'll see what it turns into. I love doing it. Um, I hope that it does turn into something bigger. Um, But you know, we'll see. I'm enjoying it while I'm doing it right now.
0: It's awesome. Yeah. Sorry if I was talking over you at parts, there's a little bit of a delay and I can't tell when to. To jump in. Um, the the guilt word. I mean really like strikes me. Especially when it comes to parenting. Like 90% of the people listening right now. Are like I'm not a parent. Tune out. <laughs> we'll get back to grad school. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, but like the, the there's so much guilt with parenting. And there's so many like shoulds. Like good parents mm-hmm. should. Or good parents shouldn't. And I think. I. I just didn't really care what anybody thought. And so I just kind of was like, whatever, keep all that stuff over there. I think for, uh, you know, my wife, it, it, that did become more of like a, I don't know, it, it, it became more obvious to me how much guilt and how much, uh, I don't know what the other word I'm looking for is, but almost like manipulation. Like this is my worldview about parenting and I want to manipulate you into being that way. And it, mm-hmm. I agree. Like 99% of it's not evidence-based and um, probably not linked with great outcomes. So would you say that you're, you're the people who you're making this account for and making this content for, is it for primarily moms or moms and dads or anyone with a kid, even grandparents? What are you, What is
1: yeah, it's for anyone with a kid, you know. I I think I I do sometimes get into the trap of posting about moms just because that's my experience, but um For sure. Anyone with a kid, I think this is all important. Like we I you know, I've been posting a lot about like resilience and um grandparents, dads, moms, anyone who's a caregiver to a child um is important for kids' mental health and resilience. So, yeah, I think I think anyone needs to hear that message that if you're taking care of a child, if there's a child in your life, I think it is important to have some actual evidence-based information and know the things that like actually really matter to kids, like, which is like Mm -hmm. just being unconditionally accepting and, um, you know, being there for them, being available to them. It's not about like the specific things that you say or do or like having specific things. It's more about like that relationship with them. So I just, that's one thing I want to drive home.
0: Absolutely. Anything else you want to say about that account, its direction, anything like that?
1: I don't think so. Um yeah, I'm just, you know, sharing things I think are important and I'm, you know, just trying to do my best. It is creating content and then also having a full-time job is a lot. So <laughs> I'm trying my best to like yeah. share where I can, but also share valuable information. So you know, I might not be posting every day, but I, I do make sure that the things that I post are really well-researched and evidence-based.
0: Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And I and again, anybody who wants to follow the account, uh, I will put it in the description Thanks. of this podcast episode so you can just scroll down in your app and click on it and go there. And also, if you're listening, again, it's at doctor.aaron.parenting. Aaron is with two Ns. Um, I literally... So I, I ran into it, was it last week? I,
1: I think I, so, yeah. I don't know why
0: I didn't see it before. <laughs> but I saw it popped up and I was like, oh my God, it's Aaron
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was like looking over the content. I was like, one, it's encouraging and it's scientific. And it just like touched both, you know, the heart and the mind. Um,
1: oh, thank you.
0: And oh, where was I going with this? Oh. So this is going to be a little inside baseball, maybe, but Uh there's a lot of folks who want to be content creators. Do you, um, do you batch your content? Like, do you create a lot of it before and then like spread it out?
1: Uh, I, I try maybe in terms of the writing. I do try like Sunday night Mm -hmm. sometimes, um, when I have time. Yeah. I think I could do a better job and it would be helpful. Like the the weeks I do that it's incredibly helpful. Um, so yeah, sometimes I'll like, at least get the writing done, like the copy that I want to post and like the next Mm -hmm. day, like maybe there's like a few things I need to play around with the graphics. Um, but I I do try to do that,
0: but it's hard. I I mean, it's so, it's so consuming.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, it really is. And, and your posts are like dense, like dense, dense posts. And, uh, I saw one and I was like, oh, God, I would be on my phone for an hour just pecking if I was doing that. I'm sure you're not on your phone doing it. You're typing it out. Well, I do um, a lot of
1: it on, um, not on my phone, but on, like, the desktop. Like, I mm -hmm. use the desktop version of Instagram and, like, I have a Google Doc with all, like, the caption, right? Like, it's, um, but, yeah, I started posting, like, this content done stuff and that is kind of the backbone of what I want to post, which is, like, this like learning more about the stress response system, for example, in a way that like is hopefully understandable, but it's, it's a lot. So I, I kind of realized that, you know, I I can't do that every day. It's just not feasible Mm -hmm. for me and my mental health, right? Like I have to practice what I preach and like think about self-care a little bit too. So, um, yeah, Yeah. but it's fun. I like doing it at the same time.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. um well again uh look at the um the link in the description of this episode to get right over to that account
1: i would say i think like one thing i would want to share is mental health during grad school and like the importance of thinking about that and like self-care i know like you talked about that like i listened to like what should you talked about that a lot but i think that's really important and i feel like that Mm -hmm. was a big part of like my experience So I think that's okay.
0: Well, let's riff on that. What are your thoughts on uh, mental health in grad school?
1: I, you know, I think everyone talks about mental health and self-care in grad school and doesn't necessarily practice what they preach. Um, Mental health is so important. Um, And I think, you know, looking back at my experience as a grad student, I studied mental health. Um, I had a degree in mental health counseling. Like, and, you know, I, I talked about it all the time, like you need to practice self-care, you need to practice self-care. At so the end of the day, I I don't think I really did it justice, and I was so stressed. I had insomnia for at least like two semesters because I was so stressed. I kept saying yes to projects. I I didn't know how to say no. I was, I think, a people pleaser, so like I wanted to do the best in every specific project. Um And I think you really got to like self-reflect on yourself and Mm -hmm. um, self-care is more than just taking breaks and like going out on the weekend or getting a massage. It's more about, I think, like holistically how you're living as a grad student and like the projects you're taking on and like setting boundaries um, and like the relationships that you have. So Yeah. I think it's just so important because I think it can easily get away from us as grad students because we're just involved in so much. And it's just like, so, um, I think for me and for a lot of others, it's like, so future oriented. Like I just got to do this and this, and I get, I need to get to my dissertation. I'm just going to like kill myself for these next few years to get to that position. Um, but like, don't do that to yourself. You know, you really have to take care of yourself, I would say. Um, yeah, so that's that's yeah. my advice, yeah.
0: Yeah, fall. it's so easy to fall into the, like, I'll sleep when I'm dead kind of mentality. It's like, oh, I'll relax, yeah. I'll slow down when I finish this, <laughs> I'll slow down when I finish that. It's like you never slow down. You mm-hmm. just keep burning it on overdrive until you yes. collapse, and then, you know, you do whatever thing you need to do to get up from the collapse, and then you keep on going into it. So what yeah. do you, what do you <clears> – <throat> either for, you know, yourself or, um, you know, others, uh, that you were around in grad school, what, what bits of self-care really mattered? Like what made the difference for mental health?
1: It's a good question. I think Social support is a big thing. Um, I think for me, like having, you know, being in a relationship was helpful, but also having and because I know not everyone has that, but also um, I had a lot of really good friends I could count on and that I could kind of get away from like the day to day and all of the demands of grad school and just, um, you know, have friends and neighbors that I could count on and just have fun with and not always talk about like research and grad school um that was just so helpful for me um I was lucky I just made really great friends um in grad school and that just kind of like lived by me like where we were in Athens Georgia um I made a ton of Mm -hmm. friends who like weren't even um like involved with the university I just kind of met um which was really cool too to have like non-grad school life and that was actually I think really helpful to have like non-grad school friends and like have a little bit of both um, cause you don't always want to be talking about grad school. So yeah, I say social support is so important. Um, I think that's really what got me through those years.
0: Yeah. Are there like self-care related things that you, uh, wish you would have done or wish you would have mm-hmm. done more that you think might've helped?
1: Uh, I wish I would have set boundaries more. I think that's really important mm-hmm. to set boundaries, um, with your time, like, you know, you can't just work all the time and, um, you can't just take on every single project, even though, yes, it might be good ultimately for your career or whatever, but, you know, you need to kind of think about what it's worth. Um, so I, I think, yeah, setting boundaries, learning to say no. Um, and also what You know what? I I think in grad school, I feel I kind of felt the pressure like every time a professor emailed me, or like every time there's a manuscript sent to me, I was like, I need to get this done in like 24 hours. I need to get this done. There's such Mm. urgency in everything, it was crazy. And now it's like, and I don't know if this is like having having kids or like just with age, like nothing's really that important to just you know, go crazy over, like, just take your time. You could respond in two days, unless it's like super urgent issue. Like you don't need to do that whole edit, like revision of a manuscript within 24 hours that gets sent to you. You know, just, I think there's just such a sense of urgency. And I wish I kind of um, knew that I needed to like take care of myself and take care of my time a little bit more. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, one more Go thing I was thinking that I wanted to say um, is that I feel like sometimes coming into grad school and like thinking about your career in general, you have a vision. And I think sometimes it's easy to be very narrow, like tunnel vision about your vision. Um, like, for example, coming into grad school, a lot of us know the specific research that we want to do. I found that has been so helpful in my career to kind of like disregard that. And, and I think that goes back to, I was talking before about just kind of being open to new things. Like I wouldn't be where I was if I wasn't open to things that like made me feel a little bit uneasy, Um, not uneasy in a bad way, but that was like, Oh, that's like different than what I usually do. Or that's like a little bit of a different research interest. Um, I think just like being open to those new like experiences is really helpful. Um, Like I didn't think going to grad school that I would be a suicide prevention researcher, you know, and I'm so happy that's where I ended up. So that's one thing I just wanted to say, like, just, um, that's been helpful for me in my career, just to kind of be open to like new opportunities and things that come up.
0: It's awesome. Okay. Okay. So I've got a couple questions from Instagram uh I think this one is perfect for you Aaron. Okay. This is is a postdoc absolutely necessary for a career in academic research or are there other options?
1: I don't think it's absolutely necessary. I I would say this is very discipline specific. Um so I think it depends on your field whether it's necessary. I would say in my field, which is more like developmental science, it tends to be pretty necessary if you want to go on to have like kind of a traditional tenure track academic position. Um, But yeah, I mean, I've known people in different fields who've gone right on to get a faculty job after grad school. So I think that's super possible. Um, Yeah, I think it's all about like you and your field and also like if you want, sometimes it is helpful to get more training for a faculty job it was helpful for me um but it's not necessarily for everyone
0: absolutely yeah i've heard and this is just anecdotally that like in the physical sciences it's like 99.9 percent necessary to get a postdoc
1: i would think that yeah. and
0: in the social sciences it's like less so obviously like psych is more competitive than some of the other mm-hmm. social sciences um yeah. Okay. So the other, uh, one that I feel like is a good fit for you from Instagram. Uh, so I'm going to edit this a little bit. So the question is, what's the best advice for people seeking jobs during this cycle, primarily in an R1 institution. So right now we're in November. So whatever is on your CV is on your CV. Uh, but so if you could answer it for the folks applying now, but then also for the folks who are applying a year from now, like what should they, what they, what should they do with that year?
1: Uh, Oh gosh, you know, yeah, productivity, you know, they are still looking for those manuscript publications. Um, So yeah, focusing on that, going back to like networking, I think networking is important. Mm. Um, It's not, it won't like maybe necessarily land you a job, but it might let you know about jobs that are coming up that you you could be more prepared for um you know your network could help you like understand the like what departments are really looking for sometimes um sometimes you know positions are posted and they're not really writing exactly what they're looking for they're looking for something else entirely Um, it's not always super transparent so your network can help with that um yeah. And just, you know, it's hard out there. So just having like realistic expectations, like I, I think like what you're doing, their podcast is really helpful to maybe think about what are some other opportunities that you would be happy with that aren't necessarily like RO R01 tenure track job. Um, I think it is helpful mm-hmm. to like have that um, in your back pocket too. And you know, I, I applied to both, you know, I did apply to some like tenure track jobs, I ended up here and I'm happy here, but Um, I think for like for me, it was helpful to have both options.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I, uh, thank you for sharing that. I, I read something. I can't remember if it was for social sciences or if it was for all sciences in general, but it was something to the effect of like, there are 20 PhDs produced for every one tenure track position that will ever become open something like that so that's like a five percent chance yeah something like that it's so competitive. not to discourage anyone out there but yeah yeah it's fierce out there
1: it's so competitive um i have heard that maybe jobs are rebounding a bit because obviously during covid there was like the job market was mm. stale um I have heard there's maybe some rebounding. Like the job market looks a little bit better this year. So there, maybe there's more of a chance this year. Um, but
0: That's interesting. Um,
1: you have a visitor?
0: We can wrap things up.
1: Hey, buddy. <laughs> My son just came in.
0: We have um, another podcast guest. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I actually just interviewed Ashley. Um,
1: and she told me oh, that there cool. was,
0: are more... HDFS posi- faculty positions well, than ever.
1: That's what I've heard. Can you say hi. <laughs> hey, buddy. All right. I found my hand
0: All right. We can wrap okay. this up, Aaron. I should
1: probably okay, wrap this so up. Yeah.
0: One thing that you think every grad student lis- listening should do.
1: Um, is this like just in general advice or about yeah. the job market yeah. general?
0: No, nah, general advice.
1: Okay. Um take care of yourself. No one's going no one else is going to yeah. look out for your mental health.
0: Yeah. Self-care. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, everyone go follow Aaron at uh Parenting. Again, that's Aaron with two N's. Again, you can look at the description in this podcast episode to find a link to there. Aaron, are there any other contact details you would want to share if people want to follow or contact you? Or do you just want them to go there?
1: Um, I think just going to my Instagram would be great.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Aaron, so much for coming on the podcast. It was a pleasure to talk to you.
1: Okay. It was so nice to talk to you, too. Thank you so much.
0: All right, I'll talk to you later.
1: <laughs> Bye.
0: Folks, thank you for tuning in to the Grad School Sucks podcast. I hope you got a lot out of my interview with Erin today. It's awesome to hear about her life as a research scientist and see what she's getting into with her new science communication account. Be sure to check out the description of today's episode for a link to Erin's science communication account on Instagram. Again, it is at doctor.errin.parenting, and that's Erin with two N's. If you did enjoy today's podcast episode, please consider leaving a review on your podcast app. It does mean a lot to me as a content creator when folks leave reviews for the podcast and it helps others find the podcast as well. As always, I'm your host, Matt Carlson, and I look forward to bringing you another great episode next week. As promised, hear Aaron's responses to the bonus questions. See y'all next time. Aaron, the first question what is your spirit animal
1: uh, oh that's a good question um I always think my spirit animal is um, my dog Suzu who's a Labrador retriever because um she it's like half of her life she's really really excited about things and like cannot stop moving has so much energy and then the other half of her life she just likes to kind of like sleep and chill out. So that's kind of like me. I'm either like 100% or or like nothing. I'm like, you know, one or the other. Um, and, you know, we both love food and eating and taking naps and those things. So, yeah. That's what yeah, I would say. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what do you think uh, your friends and family would say that your superpower is?
1: Oh, um, What would they say? Um,
0: Or what do you think it is? Either one.
1: Yeah. I would say just like loving to learn new things and like being open to learning new things all the time. Um, Yeah. I think just kind of like openness to new experiences in general and like kind of with that, like kind of going with the flow and like when new opportunities come to me kind of, going for them and like just being open to new things
0: yeah for sure and then last warm-up question um if you could snap your fingers and go anywhere in the world anywhere you want to but it had to be the same place every time what place would it be
1: oh i could think of a lot of places um I don't know. I think lately I've just been wanting to go on vacation. So my mind goes to like the beach in Greece, maybe just, yeah, Yeah. just like relaxing on a beach somewhere that's like scenic and beautiful that has sunshine all of the time. I think that would be pretty nice.
0: Oh, that sounds lovely.